So Money Episode 682, Lisa Peterson, Life Coach. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Hey, guys and gals. Welcome back to So Money. It's Farnoosh. Coming at you, January 24th, 2018. Time is flying by. We're a few weeks into the new year, and I'm guessing that you may have made a resolution or two. Some of my resolutions, yes, some. I don't just make one. I make many because chances are I won't get to all of them, but I'll feel like I have to I have to cast a wide net, right? And so I feel like I, I end up doing something, and that's that makes me happy. But one of them is to read more books, actual books. I find that with two children and a busy schedule, it's really hard to just sit down and read. I don't even have time to watch television. I don't have time to sleep, shower, watch television, read books, you know, the basics. (laughs) So this is the year where I'm going to actually read some quality books, fun books, escape books. So if you have any recommendations for me, let me know. I also want to save a ton of money this year because, uh, you know, my kids are growing up. Our apartment is great but I want to someday be able to afford something bigger and that takes years in the making. And I think I want to also exercise the power of no more this year, saying no. I said yes a lot last year. I think that's the baby effect. You kind of come out of your quasi maternity leave. As an entrepreneur, you really don't have maternity leave, but I, you know, I took some time off work and I think that I felt this need to get back and just sink my teeth into work and be a yes person and, uh, And it paid off in spades, but it also meant that I was exhausted by the end of the year and wasn't able to really show up for my family in in the way that I wanted to and should have. So read more books, exercise the power of no, and save more money. Our guest today helps people achieve their goals, particularly their financial goals. And she is a renowned life coach. She helps people get out of their own way when it comes to money so that they can live a full life, a life of joy and abundance. Her name is Lisa Peterson. She is a longtime entrepreneur and money expert, and she also has her own podcast. If you're looking to add more to the roster, Art of Abundance is the name. Lisa, like probably many of us listening on this show, you know, she's had a fascination with money since a very young age. Her relationship, she admits, wasn't the healthiest. She talks about that and also how a tragic death in the family was a life-changing moment for her, at which point she found the need to reconcile many relationships, including her relationship with money. How did she do it? Here's Lisa Peterson. Lisa Peterson, welcome to So Money. Happy New Year. Thank you, Farnoosh, for having me. It's so great to have you on the show. You spend so much of your work and your life helping people, as you say, cut through the clutter in their minds when it comes to money and just really be able to live richer, happier lives. We share an appreciation for that. And of course, everyone on this show arrives at this podcast because they want to learn how to make the most of their financial lives. But before we get to your advice, I want to learn more about you, Lisa, and what brought you to this space. We all have our own personal um, 
journeys when it comes to why we do what we do. So what, what drew you to the money space? I have always loved money. I will be honest. It from from a very young Unapologetic. age. <laughs> exactly. I think I became very fascinated. And even as I was thinking about this conversation, I I thought about some of the things in my childhood that just crack me up because it's just not normal behavior. So I think I was destined to go into the money business, even though when I was an undergrad, I decided I wanted to be a fashion designer and I studied that. And quite frankly, the call of money was so strong that I ultimately left that and got my MBA and and literally have been working in the money business for over 25 years. What specifically was the calling. I mean, you you know, yeah, not everybody who has that instinct. So what is it about you and that connection? What was there? I think from an early age, because we did not have money and money was a very big struggle in my home and my parents weren't good at managing it. I think that I knew that if I could master money that I would have a much better life than I was having growing up. And it it really I took it to heart and I see now my past, you know, my childhood especially in my teens and then into into that the 20s, I saw myself constantly going back to how can I understand this thing called money better so that I could create a better life for myself and for my family. And that's really where it came from. I want to learn more about your childhood, but let's let's take a step back. What's your overarching money mantra, Lisa? Mm-hmm. Now it's evolved a lot, but my money mantra is about realizing that money is a very, for many of us, a very mental construct. And the more I can move money into my heart and come from a place of love rather than fear, the happier my life is. So you have to consciously say to yourself, you know, that your money is not rooted from a place of fear. Is this something that goes back to your childhood? Definitely. Yeah. And I notice, you know, as a coach, I notice that people gravitate to my work when they notice that there is a lot of fear around money, um, not having enough, not making enough, or even um, how it can just drive you to do things that you later regret. Like, wow, I sacrificed myself, you know, in the spirit of getting more money and I sacrificed my wishes. And so I just see that money is so powerful, you know, for our lives to create comfort and fun and enjoyment and security. But I've also reached a place where I see that there's so much more going on and that money is just part of the overall life equation. When I was young, I made it the whole entire equation, quite frankly. So give us an example of that. I love hearing more about... I'm going to just keep on this with this childhood experience for just a little bit longer if we can, just because I think that seems to be the root of a lot of your mindset. What's one scene from childhood that captures what you've just... just perhaps it was you know, an experience, uh, witnessing a, a lesson learned? I think what comes to mind is that... I would often look at decisions, even in my relationships with other people from the lens of money, which is really embarrassing to, to, you know, talk about because you're like, what? That doesn't make any sense. But again, it was coming from this place of fear that 
I would always look at the money decision first. And then I'd look at, well, how's that going to affect everybody in the equation? And that was really just something that I was doing to, in my mind, to keep myself safe and protected. Like I thought that that was, that was the best way to make the decisions rather so than... So can you give an example of a decision? Yeah. Like, was it with your family? Was it with friends? Yeah. It's, it's funny because it was such a common theme. I would say things... A big decision was when I... My husband and I have been together for th- over 30 years. And I got an opportunity to go to work for Wells Fargo back in the late 90s. And it was a huge opportunity. It was a big bump in pay. They were recruiting me. They were going to move us. It was just like something I felt like I had worked really hard to get to that stage. And now they were, you know, very much rolling out the red carpet for me to take a very cool job. And I did not let my husband really in on that decision. Like I made it because I saw, you know, the opportunity, I think financially, and obviously, you know, from a a sense of being successful, but I didn't include him in that decision. I literally was like, I'm doing this. If you want to come along, great, but this is what I'm going to do. And I had a baby at the time. Like it just blows my mind how selfish at the time I was, but that was my mind. Like I thought that that was the best way to make the decision. Does that help? Yeah, it does help. And did it backfire? How did it? You know, it didn't because ultimately we made some changes in our lives that, you know, when you're together with someone for that long, it's like a roller coaster is how I think of it. But what ended up happening is when he said, okay, I'm going to come, we made a decision that it would be for one year. And that at the end of that one year, we would both decide if that was a good decision or not, and then plan accordingly. And so that we did reach this compromise place because he's a strong-willed person and he wasn't just doing it, but he understood that it was non-negotiable about how I wanted to take this job. And we, you know, uproot from where we were living, which was close to his parents. I mean, there were a lot of things and he's like, okay, I give it a year. And then, and then, you know, it ended up lasting a lot longer than that, but it worked out okay for us. So it was just in that moment, I could feel the way that I was making the decision wasn't ultimately the way that I make decisions now in any way. When did you realize you had to make a shift? I realized about a year... So that was in 1998. And about a year and a few months later, my dad was brutally murdered by his ex-girlfriend and her boyfriend. And that was the beginning of the shift that continues to this day. So that was like, when I got news of what had happened to my father, I literally fell apart in the inside, not so much on the outside. Everybody thought I was fine, but on the inside, I just crumbled. And I saw how I had been making decisions from a total place of fear. And this fear that was provoked by my dad dying in the way he did caused me to start to unravel who I was and who I didn't want to be anymore. Oh my gosh. So that's a... That's not something that I was expecting to hear necessarily at this point in the conversation. Uh, but I think we should dive into this a little bit more. I mean, so I'm trying to connect some dots and I'm so sorry to hear this. First of all, this is so I've, this happened how many years ago? In 1999. 
where were you in your life stage at that point? So my daughter was two years old. We were living in the Bay Area. I was working for Wells Fargo. And um, I was, I think, like 32 at the time. And so it began a process that, you know, I now help my clients through these big life changes that sometimes happen when we least expect them. But I was going through it at a time when it wasn't happening to anyone I knew. And I had to figure out how to chart my course through the pain and the grief that I was, I, I was going through at that time. So you had mentioned earlier that your family was not the best with money and that there were these lessons that you learned your memory of your father as a child, fast forward to now as an adult, had things changed? So when I was growing up, my parents had both come from pretty rough backgrounds with a lot of violence and um, trauma. And so they did their best to do what they could in our home. And I love them dearly, but I also knew that they weren't really capable of taking care of us in the way that I think a lot of children want to. And by the time my dad was killed, I had not spoken to him in about 10 years. So things had gotten so bad that I kind of pushed him out of my life because I felt like he was a very destructive influence. And I was trying to lead a different life from what I had grown up with. And I couldn't with him in my life, which made it all the more traumatic when, when that happened. And I got the news for him, but I'm not sure if that connects the dots, but as you can imagine, uh, especially, you know, when I went to work at Wells Fargo, kind of a funny thought is the people that I was working with had gone to Harvard and Stanford and had these completely different lives than I had grown up with. Like, I can't even begin to tell you how stark the contrast was. And in all fairness, I kept my background as much of a secret as I possibly could because it was very shameful and embarrassing to me to grow up the way that I had. And so when this happened with my dad, it was just so crazy, right? Because I was dealing with something that my peers and you know, that I worked with weren't really, <laughs> they didn't have any idea how to support me. You know, they knew that it hadn't been um, good, but I tried to keep it very compartmentalized, which is what I had done with my life up to that point in time and actually continued to do for several more years after that, because I just didn't know how to integrate who I was, what my backstory was into my career, into what I do, because it just seems so out of place. And so now what is your story? You know, what is the Lisa Peterson story incorporating all of this, um, all of these life experiences? It sounds like you've come to a place where you've been able to integrate this and feel at peace with it. And so what's the story that now you share in terms of you know, your money story, your life story? Yeah, after this happened, I was drawn to meditation and I started to learn uh, first for myself. And then I started teaching meditation within probably three or four years. And even at, at one point for many years, about five years, I was teaching meditation on a weekly basis in a spiritual center in my community. And over time, what I realized is that, and even just even realizing more recently is that what has been happening for me is I've been learning and practicing and ultimately teaching others how to stop the mind from undermining our natural destiny. And that is what I, my story has been that 
early on, fear kind of hijacked me and sent me in one direction. But now I see that when we don't live, you know, from this place of fear and and, um, worry and judgment, that we can go back on course (laughs) to finding the things that really, really get us excited in life that we may have noticed from a very young age. You know, the work that I do now has a lot to do with my empathy and my ability to see things that are beyond understanding for um, most people. I don't know where they come from, but I listen really deeply and I get information that allows me to help people in a very meaningful way. I've been doing that since I was a child. Never in my wildest dreams did I think that people would seek me out for this intuitive guidance that has has been here all along and to be paid for it and to make a living for it. Who right? knew? <laughs> well, I think it makes sense now when you reflect on your experiences and your ability to own them and really uh, if it has fueled, like you said, your, your ability to empathize with other people's uh, goings on in their lives. Uh, you mentioned you practice meditation and that really helped for you to arrive at a place of peace and acceptance. What for your clients and for, for those of us listening, we, you know, if we are in a place of insecurity or fear when it comes to our finances, what are the practices to overcome that? There's obviously a lot of mental work, but is there anything else? Yeah, the biggest thing I notice, and I do work with a lot of women, but I also work with men, and I do some groups with women. And one of the things that I notice in the first month when we do group work around healing our money stories is around the grudges and the regret and the guilt that we feel about our past with money. And that as long as those things are standing in the way, I cannot help people. So I focus a lot of attention on helping people see the commonality by sharing my own stories, by sharing other stories of how we are all doing the best that we can in any given moment. And the things that we did had reasons at the time for why we did them. But we have to forgive ourselves in order to move through and start to learn in the way that I like learning about money, you know, like... If we have all of that baggage, it's difficult to learn the concepts and the techniques that can help us to take better care of ourselves financially. Where do you see a lot of people's uh, trepidations stemming from? And we've spent so much time talking about our backgrounds, our childhood. I sense that that is a root of a lot of it. But, you know, there's also a lot of current complexity in the markets and the economy. Um, There's a lot of uncertainty around um, where this world is headed. And I think that can also create a lot of insecurity and, um, you know, feeling like you're just stuck and not knowing what the best moves are. So when you're coaching your clients, what kinds of issues come up that are, that are creating these barriers? Yeah. You know, there's a gazillion different ones. One that comes up is when people have given so much to other people that they don't have enough for themselves like they maybe they have children who needed more um, assistance or you know grew up but that then weren't able to take care of themselves and they end up giving and giving and giving kind of like the giving tree right where you just give and give and give and at one point a person wakes up and thinks uh oh you know I've been giving so much that I don't even know anymore how to receive 
how to ask for people to give to me. You know, I'm so good at giving, but I'm not able to ask. And this happens in, you know, the situations that I describe, it also happens in work. Like I think a lot of us are, we find it easy to give, you know, give services to others, but not so easy to ask and receive in return to, you know, ask for what we want to be paid for, you know, even something as simple. One of the things I noticed I was always really good at when I worked for others is if, if I didn't feel like I was being paid well enough I would figure out what I needed to do to go in and present my case for being paid better. And that is something that I've noticed very few women in particular feel comfortable doing even now. And so it's it's opening, you know, the whole cycle of giving and receiving has to be a full circle and equal. It's not just give, give, give and receive a little. I truly believe it has to be give and receive back so that you can fill your cup up again and then you can give and receive. And so that's one of the things that comes up over and over again is how important it is to make sure that not just that you're giving, but that you also are receiving back. Right. And not feeling like uh, there is so much scarcity, right? That I know like a big word on your site is abundance, abundance, abundance. And that's probably something that you work to get your clients to arrive at feeling that the world is abundant. Yeah. Yeah. And acknowledging the fact that when you're stuck inside of scarcity, it's really easy to operate from that place and not even know you're doing it. You know, it's just surrounding you. And so a lot of my work because of of the mindfulness component is bringing people's attention to those patterns of the way they talk to themselves, the way they talk to others and showing them that there's another pathway. There's another way of thinking about things that, that doesn't involve scarcity. Hmm. Um, tell us about your biggest money mistake. Oh, this is a good one. Terrible actually. So in 2010, I was uh, in the process of becoming a financial advisor, and I was going. I've, I've gone through some pretty big shifts over the past 20 years, and this was a big one. And I knew that I wanted to leave my mortgage banking role and become a financial advisor. And at the same time, the idea of that I could actually do the transition, which kind of scared me. At, um, I didn't know if I could. A friend of mine suggested that I go see an astrologer. And I was like, you know what? Right now, I'll take Uh-oh. anything. <laughs> was her name... Cle- was it Cleo? The, no. The name astrologer on TV. Okay. <laughs> and I went to see this guy. And it was funny because he had a he had actually worked in investment banking. So I felt like he really understood me in a way that surprised me. And we became a, we became friends and I would go to see him every once in a while. And I ended up quickly moving into financial advising and helping others. And within a few years, so probably around 2012, he started becoming very clear that the market was going to completely fall apart. And every time I'd see him, you know, here I am a financial advisor helping people invest. He would be talking about the end of, you know, the world as we know it, you know, in 2014 or 15. And it just kept moving off. Well, it was 
one thing, you know, what I ended up doing for my clients is it made me more conservative in how I invested for them, which may or may not have been a good thing, knowing what happened, right, over this past several years. But what happened for me is I started taking my money out of the market because it made me so scared of what was coming. And I can't even begin to... I've done some estimations. It's in the hundreds of thousands of dollars that I have missed out on by being so worried from, you know, someone telling me these things. And it was, you know, now a perfect teaching because I... I recognize how we can be so easily influenced by people, certain people in times of our lives. And even as a coach, I watch that very closely that it's not about my story. It's about what is this person coming to me for and Mm -hmm. what do they want? And I felt like looking back, that was his story, not my story. And unfortunately, I didn't have the boundaries of being able to see that that wasn't really true, period. You know, so. We live and learn. Um, I'm not as cautious as I was, but I, I will admit that I think I'm always going to be a more cautious investor. It just is who I am. I like that's to fair. Really- I think that's totally fair and that you know that about you. Uh, but all at the same time, if you're going to have your, your money in the market for multiple decades, uh, you don't have to be concerned about what's happening this year. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> but you're not and taking money out. I- Next Tuesday, you're you're waiting until you're you know in your sixties and your seventies, um, but but always knowing your risk tolerance is part of the strategy. Uh, we have a few minutes left. I'd love to cover a couple of more bases with you. You're such a great guest. You have so many great insights and so generous with your with your sharing of your life. Um, what is your best money habit right now? Especially maybe something that is timely with the new year, people making a lot of resolutions. You're probably making a lot of goals yourself uh, for your life, for your finances. What's something that you're incorporating into your daily or weekly routine to help with your finances? So my husband and I have been doing real estate investing for all these years. And so the new thing for the new year is we're just finishing up building a guest house and we're going to be renting that on Airbnb. So I'm all nice. Airbnb right now. <laughs> I love it. Side hustle. <laughs> Side hustle. Exactly. And for me, I like finding creative ways that play off of our strengths. So my husband's a general contractor. He builds things. Uh, we're both really great at being hus- you know, hospitality hosts. We enjoy meeting people. We're here in Sedona, Arizona. People come from all over the world. We're really excited about taking our money, making this investment in something that is a lifestyle choice for us and has a lot of um, threads where we get, we're getting really excited about who we're going to meet and also the money that we're going to earn from this, you know, side hustle. So I've found that those are the ways that I enjoy, um, looking at my money and finding, you know, those synergies that, that can, that he and I can both enjoy doing. Cause you know, as, as a business owner in the way, what I do, he's not so involved in this business, but I'm excited that we get to work together on that project and have been working together as we build the house. I love it. I love it. And, um, have you thought about how this money is specifically going to help with your financial, uh, patchworking and, 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 you know, your goals? 
So we have reached a place where it's, um, you know, we're it's just icing. <laughs> it's icing. It's icing. However, the cool thing that's just been happening in this past year is my daughter is in college and she has been, she was thinking about becoming a veterinarian. We've never had a doctor in our family before, especially from, you know, one generation from where I came from. And she's recently decided she is going to go for it to become a vet. And she's like a straight A student. And it's just the most amazing thing. And I don't want her to have to have the burden of that, you know, $200,000, you know, med school bill on her, on her own. And so I look forward to finding different revenue streams that will help us ultimately help her. All right, Lisa, before we go, let's do some so many fill in the blanks, shall we? So if I won the lottery tomorrow, the first thing I would do is set up a community foundation <laughs> to probably give a lot of it away. I would want to focus on causes that are near and dear to my heart. And that's the first thing that comes to mind. Awesome. The one thing I spend on that makes my life easier or better is? Really good food. I love buying yummy food that's healthy for my family. What's your favorite kind of food? Do you have like a go-to cuisine or dish? No, it's a variety. It's fresh, you know, um, we have a grocery store here that has all kinds of beautiful, um, you know, organic food. And so it's whatever is colorful and beautiful. Colorful and beautiful. I like that. Those, I like those criteria. <laughs> um, when I splurge, so like really go over the budget, but you know, when I splurge, I love to spend my money on this because it is worth every penny. Yeah. So I took my daughter to Paris in the fall. And so travel is the thing. I love exposing my kids to new experiences. And we actually stayed at the Ritz for a day for about 36 hours. Ooh. And I vlogged about this whole experience that was the most magical vacation of my whole entire life. Whoa. Yeah. Oh, that's good money spent. I got I to gotta agree with that. All right. When I was growing up, the one thing I wish I had learned about money is... Mm, that it does grow on trees. Yeah, <laughs> that it is all over the world. That you <laughs> yes, yes, that it isn't scarce, that it's it's just up to my own creativity to figure things out. Mm -hmm. Yes, amen to that. Uh, when I donate, I like to give to blank because... I donate now to Tree Sisters and I'm in the course of actually looking for some new causes to donate in. So if you have any ideas, send them my way because yeah, it's time for me to give back even in a new way. And last but not least, I'm Lisa Peterson. I'm so money because... I live in gratitude every day for all the love that I have in my life. Well, we're going to send you some more love your way. Everyone check out Lisa's website, wealthclinic.com. She's also got um, a program at thewealthflower.com. And you have a podcast called Art of Abundance. So be sure to find her. She's in many places. We thank you for that. Thank you for being on the show, Lisa. And Happy New Year. Thank you, Farnoosh. 
Thanks so much to Lisa for stopping by. If you'd like to download the transcript, it's very easy to go to somoneypodcast.com. And there you can also listen to the audio. Also leave me a question for the Friday episodes. Click on Ask Farnoosh, leave a voicemail or write in your question. Let me know too if you'd like to co-host with me on the Friday episodes. Thanks for tuning in everyone. And I hope your day is so money. Money.